only an honor every time that I get to preach, and it's a blessing to have the opportunity, and I hope that the result will be a blessing to all of you as well. Um, turn in your Bibles to the books of to the book, pardon me, of Acts chapter seven and verse uh, fifty. Acts chapter seven and verse fifty, and we'll get to the text here in a few minutes. Just want to have everyone turn there so we're ready. Father, Lord, I come before you and I thank you for how good you are, how wonderful you are. I pray, Father, you would give me the grace to proclaim your word faithfully. I pray, Father, you would give me the strength to proclaim it clearly, Father. And, Father, I pray you would give me the courage to apply it to my own life. And I pray you'd give that wisdom and, and, and that, give that which is necessary to those that are here, that not only would I preach your word, but that those that are here would listen and obey your word, that together we might become more like your son. We might be changed into your likeness and serve and love you better. In Christ's name I pray, amen. One of the most basic and universal human desires is to be accepted. People can do without a lot of money. I mean, people can handle being poor. Some people can't. But most people can handle, you know, I'm not the richest guy that there is. I'm not the richest woman on the block. But people can deal with that. People can deal with illness sometimes very well. Some people can't. But most people can deal with illness. Even long-term illness, people can learn to deal with being sick. And they can learn to overcome those circumstances. But people can't live very long without finding acceptance somewhere. Rejection never feels good. And, we be, and when we're rejected, we want to show those who've rejected us that we didn't deserve to be treated that way. We didn't deserve to be treated the way they treated us. Their opinion of us wasn't right. We need to be vindicated. We want to prove to them that they were wrong when they said that about us. They were wrong when they treated us that way. We deserve better. We, we, should, we, we want people to accept us. We want people to think well of us. We want people to say nice things about us. And when they don't, we get very upset. I mean, this isn't something that's only a, a temptation or a problem for a certain group of people that is here. It's not like only those that are under 21 are going to be bothered by the need for acceptance, that only teenagers will do things so that other teenagers will accept them. No, the desire to be accepted and the desire to, to, to vindicate ourselves in the face of rejection, this is something that is a universal human desire. Not only some people, but all people desire acceptance. And if you get to the point when you don't, um, they will diagnose you and they will take you and they will put you in a jacket. And they will give you drugs until you do. I'm not making this up. That's what happens when people, when people, it's one of the greatest signs of mental illness is when people just stop desiring to find acceptance from other human beings and start hearing voices that are giving them the acceptance that they need. Even then they seek acceptance. And the desire to be accepted by those that have rejected us can become a gnawing desire that eats away at our hearts and destroys who we are. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, ye stiff-necked, it says this, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. 
Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Stephen was convicting the Jewish leadership. This is at the conclusion of Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin. He was accused of prophesying, he was accused of speaking against the law and speaking against the temple and false witnesses were gathered together and he was falsely accused of saying things that he never said and of speaking things that he, he never spoke and he was dragged before the Sanhedrin and he gives a speech and this is the conclusion. And he tells them, you're resisting the work of the Holy Ghost. Stephen is, giving to this, Stephen is giving to the Jewish leadership a message that comes from God. And their response was they were cut to the heart. Verse, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth and they ground their teeth in rage. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, he didn't grind his teeth and and engage in anger back at them. But he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Jewish leadership rejected his message. They rejected who he was and what he had to say. And yet he responded by looking into heaven. And he saw Jesus, who had faced the same rejection that Stephen was now facing from the very same group of people. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, vindicated from all accusation in the courtroom of the Sanhedrin, standing to vindicate Stephen. His faithful witness. The Sanhedrin rejected his witness. They ended his life. And yet he responded by calling upon God to show mercy to those who so unjustly put him to death. Those who stoned Stephen that day thought they were passing just sentence on a blasphemer. What they did, plugging their ears and stoning him without a trial. This wasn't just them losing their temper, though that certainly was going on. But this was the procedure in Jewish law. If you heard blasphemy, you were supposed to plug your ears so you couldn't hear any more of it and put an end to the life of the person who was speaking it so that they wouldn't be able to utter any more of it. They took blasphemy seriously. And indeed, the Old Testament law took blasphemy very seriously. And their response to Stephen is closely modeled on how God told the Jewish leadership to deal with blasphemy. The problem was, it wasn't Stephen that was blaspheming God. But it seemed that day as though they had the upper hand, didn't it? After all, Stephen was dead. He wouldn't be preaching anymore. That was his last sermon. He didn't even get to finish it. It seemed as though he was the one that had lost. Yet even as some of those self-confident 
members of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the others went home that night. I wonder if any of those that had picked up the stones to put an end to his life slept restlessly thinking about the calm way he had faced death. How could that man face that much rejection? And, 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 and from a, a group of people that Jewish men were trained to seek acceptance from the leadership of their people. The, the, you know, it wasn't like in today's society that we really don't care very much about the good opinion of the leadership of our nation. In fact, most people think very little of what the leadership of this nation thinks of them. They think very little of the leadership of the nation, period. The, the approval ratings of our, of our government, left and right, are dismal. So it's hard for us to understand how odd Stephen's behavior was. That here he was facing rejection by a group of people that every normal Jewish man, every normal Jewish woman would seek acceptance from their leadership. It was a very structured society. And your status, your social status was everything. It wasn't based on money and, and power in the way that ours is. But your social status and what your social superiors thought of you was who you were. To face that kind of rejection, to face a shameful death of a blasphemer was a terrible thing. And yet here was this man who was facing the ultimate in rejection with apparent calm. Stephen was a human being too. Stephen longed for acceptance and vindication. Yet it seemed as though he was not even bothered by the rejection he had faced that day. Was there something wrong with him? Was he just crazy? He was nuts? They wondered. Those who were close enough to hear his dying prayer and make out the words that he uttered with all the strength his voice had let were maybe even more disturbed. His last words had been a prayer for mercy on his persecutors. How could this be? We don't know if they actually wondered these things. But we don't need to wonder. We know why Stephen could face rejection and death in the way that he did. We know where his response came from. You see, because Stephen was accepted in heaven, he could face rejection on earth. The Sanhedrin thought they were the ones sitting in judgment over Stephen. They thought they were the judge, the jury, the executioner. They were the ones who had the right to pass sentence that you're a blasphemer. You deserve to die. You don't deserve to be heard. You deserve execution. We reject you. We reject your message. We are the ones who get to decide whether you are worthy or not. They thought that was their place. But what they couldn't see what they refused to see was they were not sitting in the judge's seat that day. They were rather the representatives of the prosecuting attorney, the old accuser himself. And instead of worrying about what the prosecution had to say, Stephen, empowered by the Holy Ghost, had his eyes focused on the judge. And as he saw into the heavenly courtroom, he saw that he was accepted there. Just as God had vindicated Jesus, who was now standing at the right hand of God, so God would vindicate Stephen in due time. He could face rejection on earth because of his acceptance in heaven. He could deal with rejection in an earthly courtroom because he saw the larger perspective. He wasn't seeking vindication from the Sanhedrin. 
I spent several weeks in the teen group and going over the speech of Stephen, but one thing we didn't spend any time covering was all the ways Stephen defended himself before the Sanhedrin. And it wasn't because I left it out or thought it wasn't important, but it's because it isn't in the chapter. It wasn't because Stephen was stoic or because he was crazy or because he just didn't care about what happened to him. Just do whatever you want to me. I don't care. No, that wasn't what Stephen... That, that wasn't Stephen's approach. It was rather that he was seeking to run a faithful race. He was seeking to be a faithful witness. He was seeking acceptation in a courtroom that was far higher than the one that sat in judgment on the day of his death. And this leads me to the question that some of you may have seen coming... What courtroom are you seeking vindication in? If you're seeking to be vindicated by a heavenly judge, by the heavenly judge, then the opinions of those who judge you here on earth suddenly become much less significant. Stephen could deal with the rejection he faced from the Sanhedrin because he didn't allow them to usurp the role of the judge. He knew that true vindication is not found on earth but in heaven. He saw the larger perspective. He found his acceptance with the only judge who really matters. If we are accepted by him, we don't need to worry about rejection from anyone else. Yet the fact is that we do worry. We worry a great deal. We try sometimes desperately to find acceptance from those whose opinions matter to us. Some people, perhaps even some of you that are sitting here in the pews tonight, live their whole lives hoping that someday they're going to measure up to the standards of that family member, their father, their mother, their ex-wife, their ex-husband, their husband, their wife, their ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, someone that rejected them and said, you don't measure up to the standards that I have for you. And they, they, they face that rejection and they live their whole life trying to prove to that person, even after that person may have been dead for years, yet every decision that they make and everything they go through every day, they're trying to prove to that person that even though they're not listening, even though they may not even be alive, yet they live their lives trying to prove to that person that they ought to have been accepted. They ought to be, they ought to be thought well of by that person. We long for vindication and acceptance here on earth. We are sometimes willing to do almost anything to get it. You know, others don't worry so much about whether their family accepts them. And, you know, they don't really care about their family members. You know, their family may accept them quite well. But what they really are consumed with is a desire to be on the inner circle. You know that group that has the boss's ear, that really wields power in the office, even though they may not have the official title? You know who they are. The ones that are around the water cooler or whatever kind of cooler you've got at your office or your job. They're the ones that really are powerful who decide whether you get promoted or not. They're the ones who get the good commissions and they get the tip off before anybody else. Every place has an inner circle. And there is no desire more destructive than to be on the inside, to be on the inner ring. There is nothing that will take a, there is nothing that will make you do things you would never thought you would do faster. I wasn't worded very well. But there's nothing that will turn you into a person you never thought you would become faster than the desire to be on the inside. And people will say, if I could just be in that position of power, if I could just be inside that group, they might not even like that group. They may not even like a single person in it. But they want the power and the prestige that comes. They want to be accepted by the people that matter. And they'll do anything to get it. 
And as soon as they think they found it, then they, want the, then they want the people that are more influential, the people that are more powerful, and they spend their whole lives chasing a phantom that doesn't even exist. We worry not just about whether significant figures like our parents or the inner circle at work or wherever it might be accept us, but sometimes even about whether enough people that we don't even know have accepted our friend request to make us cool enough on the Internet. We sometimes are willing to do things we know are foolish just to be accepted by those whom we happen to be with at the moment, even though in cold blood we don't care a bit about their opinion of us. But we want to be accepted so bad by everybody that we'll allow our decisions to be shaped by those who we're with, even if we don't care about their opinion in the first place. We know in our heads that the only vindication that matters is the one that takes place in heaven, but our hearts go after the acceptance of the lunchroom tribunal. This is why you must constantly be asking yourself, what courtroom are you seeking vindication in? Who is the judge you are making your case to? Whose acceptance are you looking to find? You may be sitting here and you're happy and being able to say, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about other people accepting me. I'm not shaped by a desire to be accepted. I'm not warped by a desire to be accepted by someone who's rejected me. I'm not worried about that. I don't seek acceptance from other people. It's, you don't need to worry about me. That doesn't mean you're safe. There's another danger. It's more subtle, but it's even more deadly. We are not only tempted to allow other people to usurp God's role as a judge, we're also tempted to usurp that role ourselves. You can refuse to be overly influenced by the opinions of others. You can say, no one is going to make me do wrong to get their acceptance. No, I'm going to do what I know to be right, regardless of what anyone else has to say about it. I, you, you, you do your devotions every day, you come to church every service, you go on visitation, you do all the things you're supposed to do. You can do and say all the right things, regardless of whether others accept you or not. And you can say, you know what, I'm facing rejection because I'm doing right, but it's okay, I'm going to do right anyways. You can seek acceptance, and you do all of those things so that you will be able to think well of yourself. You can seek acceptance from yourself. Set yourself up as the judge of your own performance. You can seek vindication in the courtroom of your own self-opinion. Yet it won't work. It will never work. Not the acceptance of others. Not the acceptance of yourself. If you are striving to satisfy anyone other than God, you are defending yourself in a courtroom that has no standing on your case. Before a judge whose verdict is worthless... Look to the judge that matters. Look to the courtroom that counts. There are so many areas this applies to that there is no way we could but scratch the surface. But I just want to give you some examples, something you can get a hold of to see just how practical this really is. Just think of the area of clothing and dress and, 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 and people can come up with lists of rules of you need to dress this way and that way and there's nothing wrong with having guidelines for how you dress. But you know what? Here's a question that cuts to the heart of the issue faster than anything else. When you go to that store, when you go to your closet and you're going to pick out what you wear, who are you trying to impress? Whose acceptance are you seeking in your clothing decisions? Who are you making your case to? Because you know what? You can follow every rule there is. You can make a handbook thicker than any handbook that's ever been made and follow every detail in it. 
But if you're defending yourself before the wrong judge, it won't count in the end. It won't matter. It won't count for anything. It doesn't matter that you're not trying to, you know, you're not immodest if you have the wrong motivation. Now, it does matter that you dress appropriately as becomes a Christian, but you have to do that for the right reason or it won't count in the end. You've got to be seeking the verdict in the right courtroom. And if you're seeking the verdict of God, he's going to direct you to dress like a Christian. But he's going to do it for his sake, not so that you can feel that you're holier than everyone else. Not so that you can get the satisfaction of impressing everyone else at church. That's just, or so that you can get the impression of, you can get the acceptance of impressing everyone at work either. Both of those are wrong, but they're not two opposites. They're the same problem. And that applies to more than just clothing. When you open your mouth, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to score points with by that cutting remark that tears someone down, maybe an unpopular person, and you thought of a way to make them look even dumber and everyone else to think you look smart? God told you to do that? That's impressing the heavenly judge? I don't think so. Whose acceptance are you seeking? What are you willing to do to get a relationship? What are you willing to do for the good opinion of a relationship that you're in or even a friendship? And you say, I've just got to have friends. I've got to have a group of friends that accept me. So I am going to find someone to be a friend that will be a friend to me and I will do what I have to do to keep their acceptance because I just have to have friends or I just have to have a boyfriend or a husband or I just have to have a wife. And, and you can become so shaped by that desire that you become willing to do anything to get acceptance to get that acceptance that you seek, to vindicate yourself before that person who has rejected you. This isn't the sort of truth that only applies to a few particular areas and doesn't apply to others. It applies to every area of life. Whose acceptance are you seeking? To which judge are you making your case? These are difficult questions to answer. And if you answer them glibly, you've got the wrong answer. Only the light of God's grace can enable us to answer them honestly. No matter how far advanced you are in the Christian life, you will still be tempted to seek vindication and acceptance here on earth. You will still be tempted to make your case in the wrong courtroom. It's not as though you're going to get to some plateau in your walk with God that you will no longer be tempted to take your eyes off the true judge and give his place to someone or something else. Yet if you will, as Stephen did, look up. Look up steadfastly into heaven. You will be enabled to see the larger picture. And you can look away from the rejection that you may face here on earth. You can look away from the temptation that you face here on earth. And you can look up to the judge that matters. And you can see yourself in the courtroom that counts. And you can live for the smile of the true judge. Because if you live to hear well done from him, 
then it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about you. And this doesn't mean that their rejection won't still hurt. Because you know what? When people reject you, when people say nasty things about you, when people hurt you, it's still going to be painful. Finding acceptance in heaven doesn't take away all the hurt. You could say, you know what? Well, if it's not going to take away the hurt, then I'm going to go after acceptance here on earth. I'm going to get that which is hurting me. I'm going to handle it. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you're willing to lose to find acceptance here on earth. You never will find it. And when you think you found it, you'll find it doesn't satisfy. And you've got to find it somewhere else because there's always going to be somebody who's rejecting you. There's always going to be someone before whom your heart desires to be vindicated. And you'll never, never, never satisfy that desire. You can't find that desire satisfied here on earth because everyone you put in the place of God isn't God. The only acceptance that really matters in the end is that you're accepted of God. And then when you're accepted by God, then you are free to love those that reject you. Stephen was free to love the Sanhedrin that were putting him to death. There's no group of people that's presently putting any of you to death because you're all still alive. I know that's not very profound. But Stephen was facing, what I mean by that is Stephen was facing a rejection that's greater than anything that any of you are presently facing. Because none of you are being put to death right now. And yet, because his eyes were focused on heaven, he was enabled to deal with that, even that ultimate rejection. Which means that the grace of God that was sufficient for Stephen will be sufficient for you to deal with whoever or whatever or however you are being rejected. As you find your acceptance in God, as you focus on the heavenly judge, you're free to love those people that otherwise you would be scheming to get them to change their mind or you would be trying to get your revenge on them for what they did to you. You don't have to live that way because God's grace is greater than that and God can free your heart from the bondage that comes from trying to seek acceptance here on earth. When you see the courtroom that you're really standing in. It is such a liberating experience. But you'll be tempted to take your eyes and lower them. Stephen's eyes were steadfastly fixed on heaven. And the devil is going to send you just outside the periphery of your vision some situation that'll tempt you just to shift your gaze a little bit. Just look away a little bit. Focus on this, this earthly problem just for a second. You know, allow this person just for a minute, just in this one situation, to be the judge that you make your case to. And you take your eyes off the Savior. And all of a sudden, the love He enabled you to have is gone. And the acceptance you felt in your heart from God disappears. So you strive more desperately to find it here on earth. And it causes problems and more problems until you're in over your head and you're not only looking a little bit away, but you're looking at the ground and you can't seem to look up. 
But God's grace is sufficient to enable you to look up once more and to seek the grace that comes from God and apply that grace to every situation and give that grace that you can look to God and you can be a recipient of His grace and of His mercy and of His love and you can give that love to everyone no matter what they have done to you. Because God is the judge that matters. And heaven is the courtroom that counts. And if you will serve Him faithfully, He has promised to one day say to you, Welcome home, my faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're accepted in heaven. There is nothing on earth that's worth giving that up for. There is nothing. What courtroom are you seeking vindication in? What judge are you seeking acceptance from? There's only one that matters. Father, I come before you. I thank you for how good you are. Oh, Father, Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you, Father, for how good you are. Help my heart, Father, Lord. I know this is not a message just for other people. This is a message for my heart, and I seek... Father, acceptance from every earthly judge. My heart goes after every earthly acceptance. Help my eyes to be focused on you and seek to please you and love you and receive your love that I might give it to others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.